Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Appreciate the opportunity to preach again before you all and trust that the Lord will teach us all something this evening. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> the uh, title of our message this evening is Quickened with Christ. Quickened with Christ. And we'll find that in our first verse of our passage here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful this evening uh, that we can examine your word and understand the incredible gift that you've given to us in our salvation. I pray that this evening we would understand a little bit more about your heart and how our hearts can be drawn closer to yours. Lord, would you open up our minds and open up our hearts today to your word? Would you illuminate your scriptures with your Holy Spirit? I pray that you would bind Satan um, from anything that he would like to do in this service, Lord, may you have free reign in this, in, in this message tonight. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be here this evening and say, Pastor Aaron, the message of your, of your sermon talks about quickness. I don't feel very quick this evening. I ate too many Christmas cookies over the holidays. I'm right there with you. I did the same thing. That's a different message. That's a message about um, being a good steward of our bodies, I suppose. Um, but uh, maybe you don't feel very quick tonight. Um, yes, I'm right there with you. In physical quickness, uh, we, uh, we, we, may not, not mean, we may not be doing the best. Um, but tonight we're going to be dealing with spiritual quickness. What does spiritual quickness look like? Um, and we're, we're dealing, when we talk about spiritual quickness, you probably know that the quickness is referring to life. It's referring to vitality. It's referring to energy. Um, a, a spiritual quickness is a spiritual life again, a spiritual, a spiritual living. Um, and that's, this is what it's talking about in this first verse when it says that we are quickened with Christ. Literally, we are raised together. We are given life again with Christ. This is foundational. This is so important to our Christian lives is to understand and apply this spiritual quickening the spiritual life that God wants, us, wants to give us. Um, and it's not just a life for eternal life, even though that's a part of it. Being raised together with Christ uh, has a lot to do with our salvation, but it has a lot to do with how we live after salvation as well, living in that spiritual vitality, in that spiritual life. And really, the spiritual quickening in our life affects every other area of our life as well. Um, and we, we may have... a a New Year's goal, a New Year's resolution that we are, we are seeking to do. And if you were to boil down each of our New, uh, each of our New Year's resolutions, 
unless it's something sinful, which hopefully it's not. Uh, But if your resolution is anything good, it's going to boil down to your life in Christ. Uh, Your life in Christ is going to affect your New Year's resolution. Even if it's something physical, even if it's something temporal, your relationship with God will pretty much determine whether you're going to stick with that goal or not. Um, So this evening, we're going to be looking at being quickened with Christ, and we're going to start by looking at, number one, our unworthy past. Our unworthy past. You're going to be impressed tonight. I alliterated. I don't normally do that. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to have, maybe it'll help you remember it a little bit tonight. Um, the, the, it just came. just came to me. Really, um, usually doesn't. Um, but uh, hopefully it'll help us to remember these, these points. We got six points tonight, um, so you can kind of gauge it. The first couple points are a little bit longer. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll work through it together here. Uh, and I think it's very important to lay this foundation in this first point about our unworthy past so we can see what our present is like, and what our future is like. Our unworthy past. Uh, let's read those three verses again. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. Who are dead in trespasses and sin. Uh, that, that's a bleak picture. That is not a, um, a state that we want to be in, a state of deadness. You, uh, we were dead. Ephesians four seventeen to eighteen. Let, let's turn over there real fast. Uh, it's right in the same book. Ephesians four seventeen and eighteen. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye ha- that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them being uh, because of the blindness of their heart. Talking a lot about darkness and being alienated or separated from the life of God, from the life that God gives. This is our life before salvation. This is a picture of our life before we accepted Jesus Christ. It was death. It was darkness. It was separation from the life in God. Um, so, first of all, in our unworthy past, we see that we were dead. Number two, we walked in the way of the world. Look at verse number two. Wherein in time, uh, sorry, we're back in Ephesians 2, verse number two. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we were, we were on a path that was not good. We were walking in the way of the world, uh, walking according to Satan's path, the path that the, path that the, the devil wants us to walk. That's where we were. Um, uh, one, one verse that comes to mind about that is Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the very first, chapter in Psalm, uh, very first verse in Psalm, that um, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So it's saying that the people that are walking in God's way are blessed, um, but not the people that are walking in the counsel of the ungodly, or standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of the scornful. It's the path of the world. It's walking according to the way of the world. Um. And number three in our unworthy past is that we lived in the flesh. We lived in the flesh. Look at verse three. 
uh, chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation uh, or our lifestyle. You could, you, you could replace that word with our lifestyle. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Wow, Pastor Aaron, this is a depressing message. <laughs> uh, it would be if we were still in this state, wouldn't it? It would be depressing if this is how we still were, but praise the Lord, we have salvation. And if you're saved tonight, you don't live, you don't have this in your life anymore. This is what you were. And looking there again in verse 3, we see that our lifestyle was according to the lusts of the flesh, the desires, the covetousness of the flesh, those things that our flesh, those sinful things that our flesh wanted, that was our lifestyle. That's the way we lived. And this is why um, this is why we can't necessarily fault unsaved people for living like unsaved people. <laughs> because it's natural. It's natural for them to fulfill the desires, their, the sinful desires of their flesh. That is who they are. They are still living in darkness. They're still alienated, separated from the life of God. And they will live according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And they are by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Aren't you thankful this evening that this is not you anymore? That God saved you from this? That you don't have to live in this kind of darkness and, and, and self-gratification anymore? Do we slip back into it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we are sinners. We still have that old man living in us. Uh, and we do still fall into this, in, into the lusts of the flesh and living after our own desires. But what I want to see this, this evening is the wonderful gift that God has given us in our salvation, not needing to live like this anymore, not needing to be um, to, to gratify ourselves anymore because we have a higher purpose to live for. And that's, uh, that's going to be our next point here, <clears throat> is uh, point number two, our unblemished propitiation. Oh, man, that was a stretch. Our unblemished propitiation. What is propitiation? It actually works really well with this passage. We're going to look at a, another passage that has that word prop- propitiation in it. Um, propitiation is just something that is necessary to appease God's righteous anger against sin. It is, it is something or someone standing in that gap and appeasing God's righteous anger against our sin. Who was our propitiation? Jesus Christ. He's the one that stood up and said, I'll take the punishment. I'll take the blame. I'll take the, the immense horrors of going to the cross in order to appease God's righteous anger against all the people that live on the earth. Jesus Christ was the propitiation. He was the one that appeased the anger of God. Our unblemished propitiation. Look at verse 4. But God, let's stop there. (laughs) We were in bondage to sin. We were alienated from life in God. We were, we were living in darkness, but God. But God chose to do something about it. God saw us in our need, 
And from the very foundations of the earth, he knew that we would sin. He knew that we would fail. He knew that we would live in darkness naturally. And he said, I don't want that. I'm going to step in. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. That grace is the propitiation for our sins. That grace is what drove Jesus Christ to the cross, that nailed him to the cross. It was, it was that grace that, that allowed us to have salvation through accepting Jesus Christ. Um, and that is our unblemished propitiation. Christ himself was that sacrifice. Number one, in this, in this section, we see that he is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Um, that word rich, it means rich. <laughs> it means wealth. It means, it means a vast abundance. God is rich in mercy. Literally, he has a wealth of mercy, a vast store of mercy. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Aren't you thankful that it's to all that call upon him? There's not somebody that's going to call upon God and, and God says, oh, my mercy ran out for him. No, that, that is not our God. God has mercy, plenteous mercy that never runs out, and it's to every person that calls upon him. He is rich in mercy. He is also has great love. He has great love. And if anybody knew about love, it was John. Uh, John writing, um, uh, writing the, the gospel of John and the first, uh, first second, and third John. Um, John knew much about love, and his gospel was themed on love. And he was that, that disciple that stuck close to Jesus Christ when he was on this earth. He writes in 1 John 4.10, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be there's that word, the propitiation for our sins. That is love. Herein is love. Not our love for God. Our, our love for God does not compare. It's, it, it doesn't even fall on the scale of love when we compare our love to God's love. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. John three sixteen, he sent Jesus to be the propitiation to appease his righteous anger against our sins. Herein is love. He has great love. Um, number three, we were dead in sins. Um, so let's start back at verse four, uh, chapter two, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, talked about that, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Verse five, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, hath raised us up together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. We were dead in sins. We already talked about this previously. Colossians 1, 22 through 20, uh, 21 and 22. And you that were sometimes alienated, there's that word again, separated, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That is what we look like to God. We don't look like sinners to God once we've accepted Jesus Christ. We don't look like sinners to him. We are holy, we are unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. 
What a wonderful truth that is, that we, we are blameless before God. He, and, and, and Satan, Satan can't come up, well, he can. Um, he, may, he may come up and say, oh, look at all this sin that uh, Pastor Aaron's been doing. Look at all this sin that they've been doing. Um, when that happens, when he accuses us, we have a advocate that stands up for us. And Jesus advocates on our behalf, and he says, no, they're holy. They're unblameable. They're unreprovable because of the gift that they have received, because they have received my righteousness applied to their account. Beautiful, beautiful what Jesus has done for us. So, um, we see, first of all, our unworthy past. We see our unblemished propitiation uh, next, let's look at our unparalleled position, our unparalleled position, and that's found in verse number six. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, this is very difficult, maybe impossible for us to wrap our minds around exactly how this works and what this means for us as Christians. Um, but we've been given an unparalleled position, an unparalleled seat. How much would you pay this evening to eat dinner with uh, your favorite politician or your favorite sports player or your favorite TV personality or somebody that, uh, somebody that you look up to? Um, how, how much would you pay to have the opportunity to, to eat with one of, your, one of the people that you, that you respect? Um, would you shuffle around your calendar to make it work? If you had the opportunity to eat dinner with that person, uh, what would, what would you shuffle around your calendar to, to make that fit? I think all of us have, have people that we would love to be able to sit down to and eat with and talk to. Um, and we would deem it a position of honor to be with that person, uh, maybe to get a picture with them or get an autograph or something. We, we, we would find that, uh, we, we, we would find great joy in that. And so much more should we find joy in having a seat with Christ. And it's not just a seat at the table with Christ, but a seat on the throne with Christ, seated in Christ. Let's look at that verse again. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is what we call the, uh, this is where we get the idea of throne seat authority that Jesus Christ has given us authority, the authority of Christ against the forces of darkness, against this world. We have authority because we are seated together with Christ. And again, it's almost impossible for our minds to wrap around, but we are, after salvation, we are seated together in Christ with all of the authority, with all of the blessing that comes from that and comes from that position. Let's go to um, uh, j- just the chapter before, Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. Um, it says, "...the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And it's talking about how all of that power and, 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 all, and all of that blessing when Jesus was quickened, he was raised, and he was, um, what, how does that verse say it? Which he wrought in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And we as Christians, according to this passage, we've been set together in Christ in those heavenly places. What a beautiful truth that is. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. This is a great challenge for us. Um, because if we are seated together in Christ, in heavenly places, then we should have our minds on things above. We should not be focused on the, uh, on the temporal things of this earth, on the physical things. Th- th- those things shouldn't um, take priority in our minds. It says, if we're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Um, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And so not only do we have the blessing of being seated together in Christ in the heavenlies, but we have a challenge that says if you're, if you're seated there, then we should have a different mindset. We shouldn't be bogged down with what this world thinks is important, with what this world desires. No, we should have a higher aspiration. We should have an affection for the things above. That is our unparalleled position. Number four, our unending provision. Our unending provision. Let's look at verse seven. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, uh, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This is our unending provision. We uh, hear of people getting a year's supply of something. Maybe they win an award or they win the lottery, and we say, "Oh man, they are set for life. Um, they, they are they're they're going to be they're going to be all set for the rest of their lives." Uh, what happens to those people, though? Many times they lose it, don't they? Uh, many times they spend it, they waste it, and we see that they end up even worse than they were in the first place. That doesn't happen with our spiritual riches. This verse says that we have a lifetime supply of what? Let's read that together. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, that word ages could be translated as, as eons, forever and ever, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So, so through Christ Jesus, what he did for us, we have an unending provision of grace and kindness. And that covers so much. Just, just grace. What is grace? It's something that we don't deserve. It's God's riches at the expense of Christ. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's exactly what this whole passage is telling us, that because of the expense that Christ went to on the cross, we have God's unending riches, God's unending spiritual blessings on our life. What an unending provision that is. First of all, in the unending provision, we see that he shows us his grace. 
We see, um, and that, that's there in verse 7. Then the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. That word riches is the same word that we saw in verse 4. Remember back there? It says, but God who is rich in mercy. So not only is he rich in mercy, but he's rich in his grace toward us, his gift, his, his gift toward us. Uh, it's the same word there that means a wealth or overabundance of this grace. And number two, he shows us his kindness. That kindness could be translated as his goodness or his gentleness. And that's an awesome way to view God. That is a beautiful way to see our God. Yes, he's just. Yes, um, like, the, like the cantata program that we watched, um, the judge was somewhat of a picture of God the Father in that he, he has to judge sin. There has to be judgment for that, and God is just, and he does judge. But God is also gentle, and he's also kind, and he's also good toward his children. That's a beautiful side of God that sometimes we tend to skip over. Uh, We tend not to dwell on those things about the kindness and the gentleness of our God toward us. But you know what? We have an endless supply of that. It is an unending provision of his grace and of his kindness toward us. Point number five, the unattainable price. The unattainable price. Let's look at verse eight. Familiar verses. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's go over to uh, Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. We'll head over to Romans chapter 3. We'll start with uh, probably the most familiar verse in this chapter. Verse 23. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But now we're, we're talking about salvation being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that appeasement of wrath, propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Because all that we have to do is believe, all that we have to do is put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, what can we boast about? And if anything, this evening, I think this, this message and this passage that we're going through Ephesians chapter 2 should cause us to think about the incredible gift that God has given us and that we don't deserve it. We've not done anything to deserve the goodness of God. He has given all of this freely in spite of us, in spite of how wicked and sinful we are, God has given us these incredible gifts. Um, 
And this is what we're talking about, about this unattainable price. This is something that we couldn't attain to. There's no way we could have paid for our sin. There's no way that we could have appeased God's wrath on our own. The only, the only appeasement would be eternal damnation in hell. And none of us wants that. But we were given a gift. We were, we were given the payment for that unattainable price through Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that when we get to heaven, we won't be carting around a wheelbarrow of crowns and saying, look what all I did to achieve salvation. Wouldn't that be miserable? (laughs) Wouldn't that be an awful time to go around every corner and somebody's bragging about how they got to heaven? No, God, God's not like that. God says, I'm going to give it to you freely. You're not going to have to work for it. You're not going to have to uh, live, live a life of penance or uh, you're not going to have to walk on your knees mile after mile. You, uh, you have the opportunity of a lifetime to accept a free gift. What a privilege that is. Point number six, and our last point this evening, is the, our, unfathomable pa- our unfathomable path. Our unfathomable path. And that's, uh, that's found in verse 10. It says, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our unfathomable path. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. That's exactly what we're seeing here in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are God's creation. We are God's building that he is still working. He's still working on me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Literally, he is a new creation. He is a new masterpiece that God is working on, that God is building. He has become new. Those old things are passed away. And that outlines a path for us. Our life is no longer our own, but we are on a path that God wants us to walk, to be built up in him, to become more like him, to be uh, like Christ to pattern our life after Christ. He's given us the blueprints in his word, and he wants to build us up layer by layer, brick by brick. He wants to build us up on this path to spiritual maturity. And this is kind of the culminating point in our message because this is where we need to be. This is the outcoming of everything else that we've seen. We've seen up to this point um, that we had a very unworthy past, that the place that we've come from, we don't like to think about it because it was so dark, there was so much death. But we were, an, we were given an unblemished propitiation, um, a, a, a sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God. And that propitiation led to an unparalleled position, being seated in Christ in the heavenlies. We have an unending provision through the grace and the kindness of God forever to us. And we're reminded of that unattainable price that we couldn't have done this on our own. Jesus Christ did it. And that should lead us onto this unfathomable path, this path to good works that God wants us to be on. 
Let's look there again in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is what God created us for, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Another thing that we really can't wrap our minds around, um, but this is, this is talking about God before the foundations of the earth thinking about you and thinking about me, knowing that we would accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and planning to build us up unto good works even before the foundations of the earth. <laughs> it's an incredible thing, and we can't wrap our minds around that. But God being all-knowing and all-present and eternal, He could do that. Before He created the earth, He thought of you, and He wanted you to become like Christ. Let's look into that a little bit closer in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We've talked about that this evening. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What did he choose? What did did God foreordain before the foundations of the earth? What does it say there? It says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God predestinated us. He foreordained us to be on this path of spiritual maturity, to be built up his workmanship, brick by brick, step by step, to, become, uh, to, be, to come into the image of his son. Before the foundations of the world, God thought of you. It's a new year. It's a time of excitement. It's a time of thinking about all the possibilities that this new year is going to bring. And we, have, we as Christians have a lot to be excited about. We have a lot to be thankful for because we serve a God of infinite mercy, love, and grace, as we've looked at tonight. And you know what? He has a plan for you this year. You may not know what your New Year's resolution is, but God knows what you need this year. God knows what your life needs to look like this year, and He wants you to become like Christ. He has taken an active part in building you up. That's an awesome thing, an awesome privilege that the God of the universe would reach into our lives and choose to build us up. He wants us to take full advantage of our heavenly position in Christ this year. And this is all made possible by the title of our message, Quickening, the Quickening with Christ. Yes, we might be be physically slow or out of shape. We might have eaten too many Christmas cookies over the season. But God wants us to focus on the inside. He wants us to allow Him to do His perfect work in us. Uh, That doesn't necessarily exclude the outside, but if we get the inside right, the outside's going to follow we get the inside right, everything else is going to fall into place. You are quickened with Christ tonight. You're giving an incredible opportunity. Let's not waste that opportunity this year, but yield ourselves up to God and say, God, I'm your workmanship. I am your building. Build me up this year. Make me more like Christ. Teach me more truths from your scripture. 
you know, we could take two, three more hours to talk about just this passage. There's so much packed into just the beginning of chapter two of Ephesians. But that is one area where we can say, God, help me to understand your word. Help me to understand these things. Grow me in the knowledge of God and teach me to become more like you. And that is the most wonderful New Year's resolution that you can make. God, I want to be more like you. I want to be built up. I want to be a better creation for you. And just to think that before the foundations of the earth, he had that plan for you, that that was his plan for you to be built up. So this evening, hope that you'll go from this place with that thought in mind, what a wonderful gift I've been given by God. Let's use that gift to the best of our ability for this new year to be built up in him. Let's pray.